This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from news stories to updates on the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is a bi-weekly podcast here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book ride podcast hosted by me, Kelly Jensen, along with Eric Smith. We're recording on Thursday, April 12th, 2018. How's it going, Eric? Hello. Hello. <laughs> we have lots to talk about today. We do. I was looking at our agenda and I'm like, huh, we like wrote each other these long like notes back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what have you been up to? Give me, give me the halves. What's been happening? Uh, well, let's see. Um, hmm. What did I do that was interesting? Well, I went to a uh, fancy conference last week, and I believe you went to one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was out at uh, Muse in the Marketplace in Boston. Um, it's not a particularly YA-heavy event, um, but there are a couple uh, rock stars there, including uh, Emily XR Pan, our nice. favorite. Yes, nice. Yes. So I traveled halfway across the country with my copy of The Astonishing <laughs> Color of After <laughs> and got it signed. Um <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I, I love it so much. Yeah. And I also found, uh, I met Kim Savage there. She wrote uh, In Her Skin and uh, In the Woods. And she writes these, like, really, like, badass horror thriller books. Um, and, yeah, started uh, giving In Her Skin a read. Um, which is one of my reads uh, this this week. Um I'll talk about it a little bit. Um, so it's, it's about this uh, this teenager who's uh, impersonating a missing girl. Uh, she figures she can get away with it and maybe take over her life. And she gets taken in by her family who are just like wealthy beyond measure. But there's all these dark secrets surrounding why the girl is missing in the first place. Um, so it's really interesting. I only got a couple words in. Uh, I got to pick it up at the fair uh, about like a week before it even come, came out. So uh yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. What about you? You went to a conference too. What what is uh what was the deal? <laughs> I uh, I went down to the Texas Library Association. I went um, as an author, like in my author capacity. But um, mm-hmm. it was fun because when people know you are also doing book riot stuff, they will come up to you and be like, "Oh, you know this said the other thing about book riot, or I read this on book riot." And sometimes I have to stop myself and be like, "It's okay. You can talk about book riot too, even though you're like in your you know." author brain. Um, and, and at times it's super fun to like be able to switch back and forth and, um, you know, kind of like live both lives at once. Um, yeah. but it was, it was a lot of fun and I got to, um, I got to meet Sarah Farazan who, um, I've read both of her books. She and I share a publisher, but, and so she was down there as well with our publisher as was Nova Rensuma. Um, and so I got to spend quite a bit of time with the two of them, and it was really nice. Um, I think Sarah might be one of the funniest people I have ever met. Like, oh. I mean, my gut was hurting from how hard I was laughing. And um, it was it's just, it's nice when you meet people whose books you've really liked and you, like, really enjoy their presence, too. Um, you know, and I've, I've said this before, like, I don't get super um, fangirly or anything. Um, I think, I don't know, it's hard to say why, just because I just approach people as people. <laughs> like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I can, I can like rationalize that somehow. And, um, it was one of those things. It's like, I just kept wanting her to talk because it was so funny. And, um, it was like one of those moments where it's like, I'm having like a, you know, this author, like I really like this author, um, you know, moment. Um, so I picked up a copy of her forthcoming book here to stay, which is about, as she put it, basketball and Islamophobia. And hmm. uh, I picked up a copy of A Room Away from the Wolves by Nova Rensuma and devoured it. Um, I went through it, and then as soon as I closed the last page, I was like, I need to reread it. So I reread about half of it again um, because her books are, are such that, like, when you're reading them, you're like, this is so great. I really like this. You get to the end, and you're like, how did she do that? So you have to yeah. go back to the beginning and start over again to try and figure out, like, how did she manage to do that to me as a reader? Like, it seems unfair, but also I really enjoyed it. 
Would you say you wolfed it down? <laughs> we can edit that out. It's okay. No, no that stays. That stays. It was beautiful. Um, and, you know, I, I got you a copy of the book, too. I know. Uh, <laughs> listeners, you should all know that uh, Kelly got me a signed copy of Nova's book, and she sent me a photo of it, and, uh, and my spirit just left my body. <laughs> That's it's. <laughs> um. So the other thing that I'm reading right now, now that I'm like back at my my house, living my house life, um, you know, as a person who like doesn't get dressed or anything, um, <laughs> I'm I'm reading Tiffany Sly Lives Here Now by Dana L. Davis. It comes out. I want to say it comes out May first. It's early May comes out, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. I can see some readers who are going to cringe when they read it, but. Um, it's fascinating. It's about a girl who her mother's just died and she's never grown up knowing her father. So she's sent to live with this man in California. She is from Chicago. So she's sent to live with this man who is her father um, in Southern California. And he and his wife and their four kids live in this like ritzy area, big fancy house. And um, they are um, light skinned, whereas she is darker skinned and so race and colorism play an issue in this book but more than that being the central idea that the big sort of thing in the book is that um tiffany sly the main character also heard from this other guy in chicago who might actually be her father so she hasn't told this guy she's living with yet that uh, in seven days she's going to find out if this other guy is actually her dad. So um, it's a lot of like navigating this whole new life she's got going on. Um, and it's a really challenging life for her because the, the family are practicing Jehovah's Witnesses. And so there are a lot of rules that she has to follow and uh, she's super not into it. I mean, she's 16, 17 in the book. So it's like, she's lived this whole other life and now she's coming into this world. That's just like totally different. Um, I've got, I don't know. I've got about a quarter of the book left, which is my plan. As soon as we're done recording, I'm going outside and finishing it up. Awesome. I have a copy of that sitting in my, sitting in my bookshelf. And, uh, did you know the author is like a legit actress? Like she was in Heroes and she's like a main character in, in that Franklin and Bass show. She's just done a whole, she whole was, bunch of things. She was also in one of those like, um, teen flicks that came out like when I was a teenager. I can't remember. I want to say 10 Things I Hate About You, but I don't think that's right. Um, she was in the TV show 10 Things I Hate About it. You. I know that's that. it. That's it. Okay. Yeah. That's it. Um, uh, I was like, that title is coming to my head, but yeah, the TV show, not the movie. Um, so so yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of cool. She has this very, um, to me, it reads as a very teen book, um, mm-hmm. rather than, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about like teen books and YA books and how there's like a slight difference in what that means. Um, this mm-hmm. is very like teen. Cool. Yeah. I'm gonna have to pick it up so we can, we can discuss. Um, let me see what else is going on. Oh, I'm trying to reread. <laughs> well, it's not gonna be that hard cause I love it, but I'm trying to reread last scene leaving and white rabbit by, uh, my favorite Caleb Roig. So, um, White Rabbit comes out at the end of the month, and I'm doing an event with him here in Ann Arbor. Um, it's supposed to be in conversation, but it's more going to be like Eric is making high-pitched screaming sounds at, <laughs> at Caleb. Um, but yes, I'm very excited uh, to reread those because uh, they're so much fun. Um, I need to read White Rabbit. It's sitting on my nook, and um, after you're raving about it and also reading the description and hearing some other people read it, it's like, it seems like it's got all the elements that I need in a book. I just need to like mm-hmm. actually sit down and do it. <laughs> um, let's jump right in. And so before we jump in with our first sponsor for listeners who don't already know, or those who do and need the reminder, we, uh, we at Book Riot are giving away 15, 15, that's one five. Of the best new mysteries of the year so far. And they're all from authors of color, authors from the queer community. Um, It's a nice, diverse grouping of mystery titles. Uh, Some of them include The Perfect Nanny by Leila Slimani, Before I Let Go by Marinka Nijkamp, Pretty Boy Must Die by Kimberly Reed, and Down the River Unto the Sea by Walter Mosley. The giveaway goes until May 9th, so you've got a little while to enter. And you can go to bookriot.com slash mystery giveaway to enter let me repeat that super easy bookriot.com slash mystery giveaway that's such a great lineup like before i let go was awesome uh yeah all of you guys you you all better enter this this is great (laughs) free books you know 
Um, Some of them will make you like read outside the YA category, but that's okay because you've got Mm -hmm. YA titles in there too. It's really cool. Uh, So our first sponsor before we dive into our media media topics, um, I think that might be funny later. I'm not sure though. Um, Our first sponsor is (laughs) (laughs) our first sponsor is What the Night Sings by Vesper Stamper. For fans of The Book Thief and The Boy in the Striped Pajamas comes a lushly illustrated novel about a teen Holocaust survivor rebuilding her life. After losing her family in the Nazi concentration camps, Gerda is finally liberated only to find herself completely alone. Without her papa, her music, or even her true identity, she must move past the task of surviving and onto living her life. In the displaced person's camp where she is staying, Gerda meets Lev a fellow survivor she just might be falling for, and she must choose how to build a new future. This is a stunning debut novel from author-slash-illustrator Vesper Stamper. Its beautiful and moving text is accompanied by gorgeous illustrations by the author, making it a special literary and artistic accomplishment, a.k.a. you'll want the print copy. Great for anyone interested in books about the World War II experience, graphic novels, or historical fiction, and it explores themes of your true identity, dealing with the loss of a parent, and falling in love for the first time. Oh, man. I don't think I've heard that much about this one. I'm going to have to scoop this up. I love uh, I love when books combine the, the author-illustrator skill in one. Yeah. I was thinking, like, author-slash-illustrator. That's like a cool slash to have and to be able to use both in your, yeah. in your creative work. Oh. So... This isn't really author slash illustrator, though I guess it could be in some cases. But, uh, you know, April is National Poetry Month in the United States, Mm. which means, of course, we're going to talk about poetry and we're going to talk specifically about novels and verse, which is something we've touched on a little bit before. But uh, Eric and I are such huge fans, we wanted to just like really take a deep dive into it. And um, so first, before like we talk specific titles, I'm curious, why do you think we see so many verse novels in YA and why don't we see them? more frequently outside of YA. Like, why Why aren't there many adult books in verse? And, like, where are they? Like, where? where? I want some. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I guess you could pick up, I don't know, a classic book and, you know, <laughs> I don't know, reread one of those medieval poetry novels, but it's, it's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same at all. Um, I don't know. You know, I think... Um, and uh, you know, we, I've touched on this a little before. Like, it's that accessibility factor, mm-hmm. you know, for the for the teenagers. Um, you know, it it even works on me now as an adult with the baby and everything. Like, reading a whole book is a serious investment of time lately. Uh, so, a YA and verse novel makes me feel it makes me feel good about myself. Yeah, something um, I noticed when I worked in the library with teens is that. They love verse novels, and they especially love those, like, massive ones. So um, I was working in libraries when Ellen Hopkins was really, her career was really picking up, and she was putting out, you know, 500, 600-page books as, like, massive-looking books. And teens, especially the teens who, quote, weren't readers, uh, end quote there, you know, they would pick those up and blow through them in no time, and then they'd come back to the library and and be so excited that they finished the 600-book day, or 600-page book in a day, and it's like, well, yeah, you know, like, that's awesome. You read a lot for not, quote-unquote, being a reader, you know, and it starts them sort of on this journey of loving books that are told maybe in a way that they aren't exposed to in the classroom. Yeah, and uh, you know, and I wonder if if the adult reading inverse, yeah, if that's the adult side of me reading uh, inverse YA, the poetry fan, uh, and the oh my god, I have no time because this, you know, with my baby, you know, mm-hmm. keeps peeing on me, reader. Um, <laughs> like I almost feel like a reluctant reader as an adult right now due to uh, all the responsibilities that I'm juggling, and I can get it from the teenagers. Um, yeah, you know, trying to handle school, homework, you know, school play, whatever it is that happens to be going on, trying to dive into a whole book and be it can be a lot. Yeah. And what's, you know, like, and verse is cool, too, just because, you know, um, it's not true of all poetry, but a lot of poetry, especially that which you're exposed to in in the classroom, is very, um, I don't want to say dense, but it doesn't tell a story in the same way that like a verse novel does, you know. Um, Ah. So there's something to be said about being able to enjoy verse in a totally different way um, that maybe you're just not as used to. And I wonder, too, if being exposed to verse novels helps readers really appreciate poetry on its own as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't think of that. You know, um, it's it's not so much that, you know, longer books uh, are inaccessible as it is, you know, maybe the poetry isn't as accessible and this makes it 
that way. I, uh, yeah. You know, thinking about, and, and maybe you can share your experience too, but thinking about how I was taught about poetry, so much is very structured, you know, like you mm-hmm. learn about the forms and you learn about the strict, like the, the pentameter, you learn about all those things, but you don't always, so, so I guess uh, you learn the real technical side of poetry. Um, and this, I, I think maybe verse novels, take away that technical side and allow that like immersive reading experience in a different way. Um, you know, it's kind of like photography. You can learn, um, all the aspects of what makes a good photo as well as like all the technical stuff about like how to work a camera. But Mm -hmm. even with those tools, like sometimes really what you need to do is just like go for a walk around town and take pictures. Like you need to just like dive in and forget what the rules are, forget that there's this, that, and the other thing. And, um, you know, just experience it on its own and, and find ways then to apply those technical sides to it as you see, you know, worth, worth applying. Yeah. And like learning poetry when I was in high school, it was very much like, this means that, this mm-hmm, means that, mm-hmm. this means that, uh, now let's read another Robert Frost poem, you know? So this is, <laughs> this is, this is good. It, it exposes you to something else and shows you that poetry can, you know, tell a longer story. It's not just, you know, I took the path and untaken blah, blah, blah. You know, like, you know, there's, there's more, there's, there's more to it. <laughs> good fences make good neighbors, as he says, you know? Yes. <laughs> Which, yeah. <laughs> You know, as a teenager reading that, you don't quite get it. And then when you're an adult, you're like, man, what a cynical old man. You know? I know. <laughs> but at the same time, stay off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> um, should we talk about some of our favorite verse novels to sort of yeah. like, give our listeners some things to check out? Maybe some things that they've heard of as well as some things that maybe they haven't. Sounds good. This will be our uh, our verse novel um on a starter kit. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, I'll, I'll hop in first and then we'll go back and forth. Uh, so the first one is one that I've talked about before, but it bears repeating, and that's The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. It came out this year. Um, Ziamara is the main character, and she lives in Harlem with her twin brother and her family, which I guess the best description could be that they're very protective. Um, Ziamara feels like she really needs to follow the rules of the church, which happen to be the same rules uh, her mom sets for her. So her writing sort of becomes this way to really better understand herself and her situation and her place in her life. And it helps her, too, to sort of um, understand what her brother is going through. Her brother is... um, She and her brother go to different schools, so her brother's situation is a little bit different than hers, but he, um, he has this understanding of himself that were it to come out to their mom, would cause big issues in the family. And um, so as Yamara really works on this poetry, she realizes just how good she is. She has a teacher who really supports it. And she eventually is able to really work on her voice and discovers that she is a damn good slam poet. So uh, <laughs> that's what she, you know, the story sort of follows in her, her growing from this person she was into this awesome slam poet and really finding her voice along the way. Um, her voice that is entirely hers and her story, which is entirely hers. Um, super pulsing, awesome. And one of those books where the verse makes perfect sense. Like as you're reading it, you're like, Oh yeah, this couldn't be told in another way and, and have it sort of give you the same feelings as a reader. And that book's been on the bestseller list for like, well, like three weeks now. Yeah. Yeah. It did really so. well. So um, and that's awesome. Like, it's awesome to see. It's not only an author of color, it's not only a main character of color, but it's also a verse novel on the bestseller list. Like, I, yeah. I, Ellen Hopkins has done it. I don't know how much uh, it's happened in the past. So it's just really cool. It hits all these, like, great elements that, like, you would look at without context and be like, well, what's this book going to do? And it's like, well, this is what readers want, you know? Um, yeah. So what have you got? What have you got? Uh, well, oh, well, speaking of uh, why verse books that hit the bestseller list, so A Long Way Down by yeah. Jason Reynolds uh, did hit the list for a little bit. Um, and I know I've talked about this one a little too much on there, but it is a, a great read um, about a teen on an elevator uh, debating uh, maybe doing something not so great. Um, it's a novel you can read uh, really quickly, um, but at the same time, you're going to want to reread it again Um which is something that, I don't know, I feel like that's the case with most inverse novels. You can inhale them, but then it's a good idea to go back and sort of uh, get every, every little detail out of them. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, read this book in like 40 minutes and then uh, then take your time and, and, and sit back with it. Because Jason Reynolds, I don't know how he does it, but he he jumps from category to category and it's always awesome. It's such a good one. Um, I heard a theory about the ending of that one that like I keep thinking about and I'm like, I need to reread it and see because I believe it. Like, and obviously I'm not going to share it, but um, yeah. yeah, that's one of those books that's kind of cool because there's so many ways to sort of interpret what happens. And when you hear a theory, you're like, oh, I need to like sit down with that book again and, and see, like, does this make sense? You know, you don't necessarily yeah. have to buy it, but it's cool sometimes to read it and be like, oh, I see where they got it. Um, mm-hmm. You know? So my next one is, I don't know if I've talked about it on this show. I feel like I have, but maybe not. Um, the Watch That Ends the Night by Alan Wolf. It's this massive book, like big. Um, and it's told through 24 voices in verse. And it's a fictional take on the night that the Titanic sunk. So it's historical what? fiction. Yeah. Um, it's really cool because you get the points of view from all the classes and cabins throughout the ship. But you also get it through some of the creatures and the inanimate objects that are on board and also maybe off board the Titanic. Um, it's one of those books that it's lengthy, but super not intimidating because you're you're able to just fall into these voices right away. You're right there on the ship with them. Um, it's just it. like, <laughs> I don't know how a writer can balance 24 voices, but uh he does it, and this book is just one of those that, like, anybody who loves good historical fiction, especially the story of the Titanic, will really enjoy this one. Um, and that's The Watch That Ends the Night by Ellen Wolf. Oh, my goodness. While you were talking about that, I may have looked it up. But I'm <laughs> going to uh, pick that up later. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, my, my next one is another one I've brought up before, uh, Blood Water Paint by Joy McCullough. Um, this was on one of my reads a few weeks back. Um, again, I've been trying to read these YA inverse novels because I can inhale them quickly. Um, it's about a uh, it's a historical uh, novel in verse about a uh, a painter. Um, bit of a awesome feminist historic fiction uh, novel about a, a little known woman who was painting and and no one really knew her name while she was creating her art. Who, uh, well. It's amazing. Um, and I know we uh, kicked this around a little while back, but I, I can't help but, like, I wonder why we don't see other genres uh, in YA inverse explored, you know? Like, where's that YA fantasy novel, that sci-fi yeah. novel? Like, is it possible without lots of prose to world build with? Um, this is a good question. Know. That's a really good question. Yeah. Like, I don't know, but, like, I feel like this is, like, definitely a step in that direction and, and maybe maybe we'll get one of those maybe maybe i'll have to work on one in my agent life i don't know <laughs> but uh it makes me think a lot and this book is awesome because it definitely highlights the life of someone uh you might not have otherwise heard of um and that's what i love about why books like this one in particular it makes you uh think about history that's sort of left out of the books yeah i still need to read that one but like yeah. <laughs> um, I, I sat down and, um, well, I guess it won't be a spoiler alert by the time our, our podcast goes live, but the next uh, What's Up and YA newsletter, I put together the first novels that I could seek out that are hitting shelves this year, that have hit shelves this year. And um, that's one that it's like, every time I read the description or put it in a list, I'm like, I need to like actually read it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so maybe maybe this will like encourage me to do that. Yes. So my next one is Family by Michael Ostow. Do you know anything about this one? Did you read this one? That, that's the one about the, the Manson family, yes, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's told in episodic verse, and it's a fictionalized take on the, the Manson family cult and uh, murders. And so it's a, a book loosely based on that. But as if you know anything about that story, you'll see you'll see the parallels. And um, it's, a, it's a book about a lot of broken people and why finding a place within a cult might feel right and appropriate to them. It's, um, mm. it's not an easy read, but one that I think anybody who likes true crime or is fascinated by true crime would totally, totally dig it. Um, it's got such a great cover too. Um, just like <laughs> it's a, a portrait with like blood on it, which I know describing it doesn't sound great, but it gives that like eerie, creepy feel um, to it. And that's Family by Michael Ostow. Nice. Um, so here's one that sort of touches into the fantasy realm, um, but I don't know anyone that's read it. So it's Bull <laughs> by David Elliott. Um, I was like Googling and trying to find more inverse books that maybe I hadn't uh, 
picked up before, and this was this is one of them. Um, feels close to genre-ish. It's a retelling of Theseus and the Minotaur, um, told from the perspective of the of the Minotaur, <laughs> um, and like the cover is really great looking. Um, but I don't know much about it. I don't know anyone's read it, so I don't know. Maybe look this one up. Uh, maybe not, but <laughs> it it looks interesting. And it's different, too. I mean, it's a different sort of genre take, and it's a take on mythology, which is interesting because we don't see that a whole lot. Like, in verse, um, you know, we see plenty of mythology sort of woven into more traditional narrative structures, but the verse take is pretty cool. Uh, another one on my list, I'm actually, I'm going to pair two together here. Um, and the first is A Time to Dance by Padma Venkatraman, and it's a story about a girl named Veda, who's a classical dance prodigy in India, and um, unfortunately, she's in an accident, which leaves her as an amputee. She's a below-the-knee amputee, and um, suddenly her big career is over, except except she relearns how to dance. And in, in working with a specialist who helps her relearn how to do this, she falls in love again with, with dancing and finds this passion and movement again that she thought was lost. Um, beautiful book. It's a t- Time to Dance by Padma Venkatraman. And I wanted to pair that with another dance verse novel, which is Audition by Stasha Ward Kehoe, about a girl named Sarah who she gets a scholarship to attend this premier dance school uh, so that she can really focus on dance, so that she can make a career of it. And she finds herself in this city. She's by herself. She's kind of lonely. And she meets this guy. His name is Remington, which I don't know. As soon as I saw the name, like, you know... uh, I felt a little not okay with him. Like, something's going to go on here. And, um, he's older than her. And it's, I want to say she's like 16 and he's like 21 or 22. So it's not, I mean, it's an age gap for sure. Um, and a gross one at that. But it's not like he's a 50-year-old and she's a 16-year-old. You know, it's, yeah. that's why she's, um, she's sort of attracted to him at this point until she realizes that she's become his sort of muse when it comes to dance. And suddenly like that feels really icky. Like uh, mm, he's using her. And so the book is about her finding other passions that she has while she's away and sort of removed from her home life and thrown into this really competitive dance world. And um, so it sort of makes her reevaluate what she loves about dance, what it is she wants to do with it as a, a career, or if she even wants to pursue it as a career. And, um, I wanted to pair those two up because I think it's really interesting that there's a, a there's got to be more. I'm sure there's more if I poked around a little bit more. But uh, dance in the verse narrative works really well. Um, you think about dance being this fluid movement sort of thing. Um, and then when it comes through in the verse, like it really you're able to sort of like move along with the dance itself. So um, those two would pair up and be really interesting to read back to back. Yeah, I'll have to check those out. Um, just kind of bring up Brown Girl Dreaming mm-hmm. as like a, a bonus <laughs> pick. Um, so I know this is technically middle grade, but it pops up in YA lists all the time. Um, and it's this uh, memoir from Jacqueline Woodson's childhood uh, in verse about what it was like growing up as a young black girl in the 60s and 70s. Um, and this book won every award. Yeah. Just, you know, just all of them. Uh, they're just like, if you pick up a recent paperback, there's just the stickers. <laughs> All over it, um, and with good cause. It's really, really fantastic. Um, that's another one that's a quick read, but again, I think you should take your time with it. You know, I love, love, love that she took uh, her memoir and wrote it in verse. Like, that was such a yeah. brilliant choice, and um, I feel like that's a really good starting point for people who want to read Jacqueline Woodson. That's a great, you know, place to start. Like, get to know who she is, get to know her childhood, and then read her books from she it's middle grade and YA she writes um and some adult but primarily YA and middle grade and um it's just interesting to see like you can sort of see where she's been inspired and things that have sort of um encouraged her to write which is cool yeah so the she's so prolific yeah yeah and they just um they just released if you come softly I think it's the 20th anniversary it has the most beautiful cover on it um they yeah beautiful i should put a link to it in the show notes because it's so good um but the the last title i was going to talk about is one i know you've read too um and that's skyscraping by cordelia jensen no relation Yay. <laughs> <laughs> uh so during her senior year of high school mina the main character learns that her father has a male partner 
which unravels a bunch of secrets and betrayals that she sort of struggles with reckoning um, with personally. You know, there's been a big shift in the family, and this is just something that, like, has, you know, rattled her whole world. But it's made more challenging when she learns that her father is also HIV positive. And um, so there's so much that is going on in her head and um, in her relationships with her family, with her father. And so this book sort of is about redefining and accepting the changing idea of what is and isn't quote unquote family. Yeah. Those, her books are amazing. Like, oh, so, so incredible. Yeah. She has a way with that. The, the, verse the way she she works it is just it's good i'm picky with my verse novels because it has to like really make sense why they're in verse and Mm -hmm. um that one certainly does obviously all the ones i talked about do i wouldn't talk about them um but yeah yeah i think those are the rest of my picks do you have any more no um i did and i'll leave a note in the show notes but a couple years ago, I guess 2016 is a couple years ago now, which is like mind blowing to me. But um, I put together a 100 must read YA books and verse post. So if you want more recommendations, I don't know how many of ours that we just gave are on there. It might only be one or two, um, but there are a hundred <laughs> that you can dig through on that post. Yeah. So, you know, if you ever wanted to sit down and just like challenge yourself to read a ton of verse novels, that'll help you out. There you go. Yeah. So next topic, <laughs> to like switch it up completely, except not really, like I'll tie this back to the verse novels. Um, did you know that Frankenstein turns 200 this year? The book Frankenstein turns 200 this 200. year? 200, oh my God. <laughs> so I, I read the book uh, growing up. I read it in high school and I read it in college. And it's interesting because I, I really enjoyed it both times and I haven't revisited it since. But um, what... Is interesting to me is I, I wonder if uh, this is one of the few times that in school you as a reader are exposed to science fiction, like actual genre fiction. Yeah. Yeah, I know we've talked about that a little bit before, but um, just something I was thinking about as I was thinking about this topic. And um, did you know Mary Shelley was only 21 when she wrote Frankenstein? Like, oh my God, I've like, I've accomplished nothing. Like, that's amazing. (laughs) And more fun facts about Mary Shelley. Like, apparently when I was doing my research, it was fun facts time. Um, (laughs) She was married to Percy Bysshe Shelley uh, when she was only 19. And she wasn't his first wife, which, no, I don't know why that's interesting to me, but it totally is. Uh, It's like, he lost his wife and then was immediately remarried again to her. Um, So... Something I'm curious about, and and I, I'd love if you could muse on it a little bit. Um, hmm. <laughs> why do you think Frankenstein is compelling for YA authors? Um, there's been, like historically and now with the anniversary arising, um, there's been a lot of takes on the Frankenstein story in YA. Like, what do you think makes that so appealing? Is it the sci-fi aspect? Is it the story of Frankenstein being written? Is it that it's a fairly common cultural title, like one that, I don't want to say most, but many students would be exposed to at some point in their schooling? Hmm, that's such a good question. Um, I don't know. You know, I think I think there's something about the idea of, like, a character who is, you know, created, uh, wrestles with who they are, um, that sort of exists in YA, like, throughout, you know, mm-hmm. and it's sort of the, the, the experience of growing up. Um, even when you're looking at YA novels that um, aren't necessarily inspired by Frankenstein, but you could sort of see the, I don't know, the, that underlying story in them. Um, like, recently I, w- I was thinking about uh, Boy Robot by Simon Curtis. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this, like, super underrated queer sci-fi novel about uh, an adopted teen who discovers he's actually, like, this powerful robot, sort of like Astro Boy or Mega Man. Oh. Um, and, yeah, and he has to choose between... Uh, like trying to face life as a human and maybe get discovered and killed um, or exist as a weapon, um, AKA a monster. Um, and like the parallels are, are really there yeah. um, with, you know, like, do I try to blend in or do I accept who I am? Uh, 
someone that people consider uh, a monster, someone who people consider scary. Um, and I think it's that identity hook that maybe grips teens and keeps them coming back uh, to that classic. Because, you know, poor the poor monster is, is lost. You know, it's mm-hmm. not his fault right. that he's been thrown into this new world. And, uh, you know, that's kind of how we all feel except maybe we don't go rampaging around you know we uh, <laughs> deal with it in other ways i love that i love that answer so much that i'm not going to add a single thing to it because it's so good Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um you know one thing i love about frankenstein and this is like super super specific to frankenstein and i don't know why um well, that's maybe not fair to say. I love thinking about covers, book covers, um, but Frankenstein is one that I'm particularly drawn to thinking about. Um, have you ever noticed how many covers of Frankenstein exist? Um, the book, the book's in the public domain, so it can be republished without um, worrying about the rights. So it's not hard to republish and repackage it. But like, man, I love looking at the covers of Frankenstein. Are they going to show the monster? Like, are they going to show Mary Shelley on the cover? Like, what take are they going to put on the cover of it? Um, I don't know if you saw there was a cover from the Twilight era, so like 2010, 2012. I can't remember what year, but in there. Um, <laughs> where Frankenstein was packaged specifically for YA readers, and it's like they tried to make the monster look like an attractive paranormal character. It was like the weirdest <laughs> weirdest cover I've ever seen. And every time oh, I see it dear. pop up, I just start cackling because it's so funny. I remember when they did that with Flowers in the Attic. Did you see that one? Yeah. Yes. Oh. Yeah. I want to say that was the same era. Like maybe even the same like publisher-ish. You know, they're going for this look. <laughs> It's like, oh, it didn't work then, but even looking back now, you're like, man, that was such a poor choice. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, let's let's tie this back then to YA. Um, And I love your answer about identity. I think that that's spot on. Um, And I wonder, too, if that's why so many readers um, enjoy it when they have to read it in school. Like it feels close to them, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, in a way that maybe like many of the other <laughs> books you have to read in school don't. I mean, I had a hard time connecting with, you know, many, many titles, Red Badge or Courage being one that I just didn't want to read, and Great Expectations being another one that I just didn't bother reading. Oh. But <laughs> Frankenstein... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But Frankenstein, on the other hand, when I had to read it yeah. again in college, I was super excited. I was like, I remember liking this before. I'm going to like it more now. Um, so... In terms of YA takes, let's let's talk about some of the ones that we have read or that we know about and find fascinating. Um, and then to put a nice little bow on the verse novels topic, the first one I'm going to talk about is Hideous Love by Stephanie Hemphill. It's a book that's less about Frankenstein and more about Mary Shelley herself, and it's told in verse. Oh, mm-hmm. I have not heard of this one. Yeah, it's, it's an older title. Um, but she, Hemphill has written many verse novels, and she takes on these topics that are um, realistic and sort of gives them a fictional spin. So she did one on Sylvia Plath, and this one is on Mary Shelley. Wow, okay. Yeah. All right, I'm going to look that up. Um, and I love that there's just so many YA authors who have, you know, spun their own take on the Frankenstein story. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got this great list here. Um one of mine that I have here to share is uh, Man Made Boy by uh, John, I'm not sure if I pronounce the name, Scorvin, maybe? Um, it's really the only one I really have to share here. It's, it's about uh, the son of Frankenstein's monster and his bride. Um, and it's, it's set in this present era, which is Ooh. really weird and quirky. Yeah. So he, um, you know, he lives, they all live uh, underneath the streets of Times Square, New York City, along with a bunch of other monsters. Uh, and he, like, uses the internet. Uh, he has teenage <laughs> angst, you know. Um, and he just wants to live among people. Uh, so one day, he runs away with the daughters of Jekyll and Hyde. Um, and there's just a ton of, like, classic monsters in the story. Um, you know, there's a sequel that, you know, brings in Dr. Moreau. Um, it's sort of like... Uh, like I remember when this when this book came out, I I had probably watched The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen for like the fifth time in a row, even though I know it's a bad movie. Uh, and this this is sort of the book that like filled that hole in my heart where I wanted more <laughs> of that movie. <laughs> I mean I know I mean I know there's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen books, um, but you know I just I just wanted more of monsters running around together uh, and then 
great creatures from literature. And this uh, this filled that little that little spot in my heart. Um, and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> sounds like it's a lot of fun. Um, the next one I've got is This Dark Endeavor by Kenneth Oppel. And it's a series, and it's about... Uh, I'm just going to read the description. I haven't read it. And I'm, like, mad that I haven't read it because I remember every time I looked at it, I wanted to read it and then just didn't get to it. Um, Victor and Conrad are the twin brothers... Frankenstein and inseparable until Conrad falls gravely ill. In the forbidden dark library, Victor finds an ancient formula and seeks an alchemist to recreate the elixir of life. When friends Elizabeth and Henry, he scales high trees in Strumwald, dives deep lake caves, and each sacrifices a body part. Interesting. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So to, to maybe bring him back, they have to give something up. Yeah. That sounds messed <laughs> up. I love it. Uh, the next one I got, I won't even read the description of this, and I'll just give the quick. Quick, it's, uh, do you know Mackenzie Lee wrote a Frankenstein book? This monstrous thing? No, I didn't. I didn't know about her debut until until later, you know? I, I think I really got into her books, um, yeah, later on, and then I, I stumbled upon this one. Yeah, it sounded, it sounds really good, um. Whatever, I'll read the description. Um, I know it's, yeah. it's not as interesting when you read the descriptions, but I'm going to. Um, in 1818 Geneva, men built with clockwork parts live hidden away from society, cared for only by illegal mechanics called Shadow Boys. Two years ago, Shadow Boy Elisidier uh, Finch's life shattered to bits. His brother Oliver, dead. His sweetheart Mary, gone. His chance to break free of Geneva, lost. Heartbroken and desperate, he does the unthinkable. He brings Oliver back from the dead. But putting together a broken life is more difficult than mending bones and adding clockwork pieces. Oliver returns more monster than man. Dun dun dun. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Uh, and then two more I'll just briefly throw out. Both of these are, well, both of these are out this year. One is out now, one's coming out. The first one is The Dark Descent of Elizabeth Frankenstein by Kirsten White, which comes out on September 25th. And it's about a young girl who has lived a hard life and is, quote-unquote, rescued by Victor Frankenstein, a lonely boy, who she soon learns has a hefty temper and might not be a good person to be connected to. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, other one, it's out now. It's called Mary's Monster, Love, Madness, and How Mary Shelley Created Frankenstein by Lita Judge. It's a graphic novel YA biography about Shelley. I keep meaning to oh, okay. pick it up, but it sounds really great. Um, yeah. I love this idea of graphic novel biographies. Like, they super work for me, and I love when they're also YA. Like, it just, you know, add all the little pieces I like together and, you know, toss in a little Frankenstein, and I don't know why I haven't read it yet. <laughs> yeah, no, I've checked that one out. So the uh, yeah, let's let's wrap up our show. Speaking of books we haven't read yet, but that we keep meaning to read, uh, let's talk. Yes. About, <laughs> let's talk about what's on our spring to read list. Uh, books that we're going to pick up this spring that are either just out or coming out in the next couple of months to sort of give you a preview, like what we're thinking about, and preview some titles that maybe you haven't heard of yet. Uh, do you wanna do you wanna start? Yeah, sounds good to me. Um, so I'm really excited to dive into uh, Puddin' by Julie Murphy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a companion book to Dumplin'. Um, and I, jeez, I just can't wait to jump into it. I'm really excited that we're starting to see uh, these companion novels that explore uh, other characters from sort of beloved uh, best-selling books. Um, I know we're getting a companion novel to Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda this month. Um it does come out this month, yeah. right? I think so. Yeah. Um, um, totally totally related, also not related. So I, I got the uh, the pitch for that from one of the publicists, and I found it really interesting that they decided they're not releasing advanced reader copies of that book because they don't want to mm-hmm. spoil Love, Simon. Oh. And I I paused for a minute because this, this leads to like a bunch of questions for me, right? The book's been out for two years, so it's not really spoiling it. Um, unless, does the book tie into the movie somehow, and they're worried that that would be, sw- I don't, I don't understand. Um. I don't know. I have questions. Yeah, I have questions. It's like, it's not atypical to have a book that you know is going to do really well, not have advanced reader copies. Like, that's not the weird yeah. part. The The weird part was just, like, how it was framed. I'm like, okay, now, um, I'm curious, like, is it, 
do they mean the book or do they really mean the movie? I don't know. I guess, mm. you know, whoever reads it first is going to we'll have to tell out. us. Yeah, yeah like way yeah. to build up the, the, get people to read it because you want to know like what that even means. So. Yeah. Well, I like this companion novel trend. We, so we're getting dump, we're getting the uh, pudding uh, companion dumpling. We're getting Leah on the offbeat companion to Simon. And then, um, Ashley Pawson's writing companion to Geekarella. Oh. Um, but I don't know the name of it, but I know, I know it is, it was announced just recently. So yeah. I'm excited about that. I'm one. a fan of companion novels because it's it's less yeah. investment than you know the, the series, um, <laughs> and and I like too that you could not always but often like it's okay if you don't remember everything that happened in the first book, you know like you just you know the characters like me my memory of books is often characters and like big plot points um, rather than like important threads that I need to like <laughs> remember forever. Um, my brain just does not does not work that way yeah there's a lot of books up there so <laughs> <laughs> um so so something i wrote in my notes and then didn't even mention um i am super looking forward to spring reading because spring reading for me is sitting in the hammock with a pile of books um like my backyard hammock is my favorite place to be and unfortunately we're now in mid-april and today is maybe the first day that i've gotten to do it and today might be the last day I get to do it for a long time because we just Aww. cannot, I know, we just cannot win weather-wise. Um, so in that meantime, I'll be reading these books indoors until I get to go out in the hammock again. Um, <laughs> so, well, you know, get the good books in, in either case, but I'd rather be laying in the hammock and listening to the angry squirrels as I read. But uh, I digress. <laughs> I think I mentioned this book in my winter TBR and didn't get to it yet. So it's definitely one that I'm going to read the next book or two. And that's Bookish Boyfriends by Tiffany Schmidt. It's the first in, I believe it's a, a duology about um, what happens when the boys that you love in literature come to life and are at your school. Are they better in books? Are they better in person? Surprise, it's going to get weird. Um so I'm I'm really looking forward to that. Ooh, that one sounds like so much fun. Yeah. Um, and I'm also jealous of that backyard hammock life, even if you only got it for a day. <laughs> you know, we have this lovely patch of woods in our yard, but we're in Michigan, mm-hmm. so the hammock will probably fill with snow, even though it is April. Um, so let's see. Well, what else do I have here? Um, Bookish Boyfriends is also sitting as a arc on my to be read list, um, but one that I'm really excited about, and I just got in the mail, is called uh, Ship It. Um, speaking of books that sort of play on, on fandom and, and mm-hmm. all of that, um, it's written by a Riverdale writer, someone who writes Ooh. on the TV show, Britta London. Um, it's about fans, uh, at Comic-Con, uh, the celebrities at Comic-Con, fandom, um, you know, people falling in love at Comic-Con. It's, it's just, it is a book that is just like written for a geek like me, <laughs> um, it looks so perfect that I need to find time to read it. So uh, I think it's probably going to be my read for the next episode. I'm probably going to dive into it over the next two weeks. Yeah. It has a really great cover, too. It does. Oh, my God. Characters look so cute. Yes. Um, it also continues on the back. There's, like, two more characters Ooh. on the back that are being all snuggly. Like, yes. I love it. Oh, awesome. I have to go check that out because I've only seen the front cover, and I love the front cover of it. Um. So, also on my list is From Twinkle with Love by Cindy Menon, uh, because I need a rom-com in my life. So, um, I loved when uh, Dimple met Rishi, so I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, and I believe she she's something with photography. There's a photography element to it, too. So, uh, it's checking all my boxes of what I need in, like, a spring read. Nice. I also got a uh, really early copy of Anger is a yes. Gift by Marco Shiro. <laughs> So yeah, this book's getting a ton of buzz right now, and I'm really mad that I haven't read it yet. Um, you know, in my my agent life, my one of my authors is doing an event with him, and I just I just need to read it. it comes out like next month. Um, yeah, just I need to get on top of it. It's so good, <laughs> you know, and it's it's a big book, but it reads really really quickly, and um, it's it feels like a really great book to be coming. On the heels of The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas and um, Dear Martin by Nick Stone. Like, it, it explores police brutality and um, 
does so in Oakland, California. So there's, you know, there's some really interesting contemporary elements uh, just in modern media and news and uh, culture that tie into it really nicely, too. Um, not an easy read, but a really, really good one. Because I've read it. <laughs> um, I Oh, I was just going to talk about a book I read that comes out. It comes out next week, so it'll be out by the time. Nope, sorry. It comes out the 24th, so two weeks. Um, and that's Stay Sweet by Siobhan Vivian. It's a book about enterprising girls, a summer ice cream stand, which has a whole legacy of only employing um, women. And also it um, has an unexpected romance in it. It's, it's a... I hate the phrase summer read because it suggests, you know, light and fluffy and like, you know, this is, this has light elements to it, but also it really like, it's about a girl who's going to run a business. Like, it's so cool. Um, and also ice cream, like ice cream, you know, um, it does everything I want in a book and more. And, um, I hope it gets picked up by a whole bunch of people. It's just really smart fiction, uh, very feminist fiction, and um, also just, like, makes you want to sit on the beach and eat ice cream. Yeah, it's very much a you book. Um, <laughs> which, oh, yeah, that was the other thing. I was going to talk about another book that I had read. I guess this, what my TBR is, is turning more into what I've read and I think you should read, Eric. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the other one I read that I thought of you as I was reading it is um, The Last Summer of the Garrett Girls by Jessica Spotswood comes out in June, so we've got a little while still, but um, it's a story of four girls during the last summer that they're all going to be together. They live in this small little town on the East Coast, and it's very much like a touristy village. They um, they live with their grandmother. Their grandmother owns an independent bookshop, so there's a lot of like book references and like really... Um, it's, it's sort of a love letter to reading and literature and um, of all kinds. So you get your classics, but then, like, there are these long passages about how great Nina LaCour is. And it's like, yes, yes, she is. And it's so nice to see that no show up in a, in a YA book. Um, the pitch for the book that I read that I thought was so perfect is It's Little Women by Way of Sarah Dessen. So it's very Sarah Dessen-y in terms of, like, world building and character development, but it's a story about four sisters and sort of the, the things that they're struggling with and um, on the personal level as well as like how they maintain this closeness that they have as sisters. So That sounds so good. Didn't Jessica Spotswood just have a book come out like, you know, two weeks ago, yes. like an anthology? Uh-huh. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah. And she, she has another anthology coming out this year too. She's got that Toil and Trouble with... Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, I can't think of wow. the other author's name right now. Um, Tessa. Tess, Tess, <laughs> I'm like blanking on the last oh, name, yeah. Tess Sharp, that's who it is, um, the Toil and Trouble anthology, which is like witch stories. Like, yeah, man, oh my goodness. I can't imagine, one book a year is more than enough, <laughs> you know, but three, wow, wow. What else have you got on your to-read list? Uh, I think that's really it for me. Um, yeah, Anger is a Gift, Ship It, Puddin'. Uh, I need to get reading. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, do you think we should wrap the show up so that we can get sounds, to reading? Because I've got a 70 degree day right now and I want to go out on the hammock. Like, yes, go <laughs> take get advantage of it before it snows again this weekend, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, um, thanks for tuning in again this week to our dear listeners. Uh, you can leave feedback about the show on Apple Podcasts to let us know how we're doing and to help other people find us. Thanks again to today's sponsor for helping make the show possible. You can follow me, Kelly Jensen, on Twitter and Instagram as Veronica Kelly Mars. I can say my own name. And you can follow (laughs) Eric Smith on Twitter and Instagram as Eric Smith Rocks. And we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.